0: What is up?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Doing well. I'm very excited to be speaking with you. Sitting down with uh, David Ramsden Wood, uh, a very strong personality that I've come across in the oil and gas industry.
1: Well, I'm glad I'm glad to be here. I'm uh, relative to most of like for the last six months, I think I've had like the big Bushman beard going and I decided it was making me look a little bit old. So I went back to baby face. Um, so for I those think- watching, that's what you'll see.
0: I think you look good in the beard. We're not going to post this on video. We're just going to be oh, audio only.
1: Perfect. I, I have the voice for radio and the face for TV, obviously.
0: Yeah. Th- I'm the same way. Um, no, like I was saying, I've like, been appreciating the, con- the host of the, the Hot Take of the Day podcast. And Tom, I'm not on LinkedIn, so I get this. Uh, your your LinkedIn video is just sent to me from from a coworker. And I think one thing that we pointed out again. It's very interesting. Is that the oil and gas industry seems pretty dejected, and you uh, seem to be one of the few individuals out there uh, trying to um, turn the tide from a narrative perspective and just bring sensible adult conversations to to the the conversation around energy usage and production. Uh, there seems to be a bunch of hysteria pushing us towards. Uh, I mean, the the green tech. Renewable right. future, um, and that may not be the wisest decision if you consider uh, how beneficial oil and gas is to humanity. How how beneficial it has been up to this point, and uh, the, the step back we'd be taking if we made this full transition.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, I think that that I mean, it's it's all related, right? But but a lot of the problem in our society right now, and which is a very big statement, but it's it's that we're not comfortable with discussion. And, and whether it's wokeism or microaggressions or, you know, the, the context around white privilege or whatever, but, but discussion is shut down just by using these triggering words and. And look, I mean, I've always been of the position all forms of energy are good because like there's a reason that Google is going to 100% renewable because to power the cloud. They use so much energy, and I, I think I read something that the footprint now of the tech companies is, is something on par with like livestock or, or cement making, which are both big CO2 contributors. And so, you know, they are getting ahead of the curve, but as, as electricity costs are cheap, data storage is cheap, and so we store all this useless stuff that we never needed to store before. And so to do that, the trade off is we need huge amounts of energy and you know we have, I mean I bet I have six TVs and eight computer monitors and nine TVs and six cell phones and iPads in my house. I'm not going to one for the family, so as long as everyone's going to consume energy, we need reliable, affordable energy Um, and that's not to speak of the 3 billion people on in Africa and Asia that don't have access.
0: Yeah, it's it's what we talk a lot about in the Bitcoin industry specifically because Bitcoin gets pointed out and singled out as um, an industry that uses too much energy. And Bitcoin's also at an unfair advantage because it's an open protocol and you can sort of see how many hashes are being produced at a given point in time and ballpark the amount of energy the network is consuming to mine. But it's this weird moralization around energy use that has popped up in... It's really communistic when you think about it. Because it's but energy should be like a free market. And If people are willing to pay for an energy source to do a certain activity, like who's who's to say that isn't worthwhile or uh, is something that should not be happening?
1: Well, and, and I think you know, similar to when, like, so so not to we're not going to talk COVID, but I'll use the example of COVID because it's similar. <laughs> to Energy is is if if someone were to say i'm personally for myself choosing not to get the vaccine for whatever reasons it doesn't really matter what those reasons are but the weaponized word is you're an anti-vaxxer and so then when and then you're like well no i mean i even a story about my mother who probably won't listen to this because we're not currently talking as a result of the conversation i'm about to share but when when rbg passed away which i you know i'm i'm a libertarian and and i I I support like she was in the court for forever. And good for her for making the decision that she was going to try and outlive Trump. Now, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. If the Democrats really want to be mad, they should be mad at the fact that she didn't retire when Obama was president. Because if she had done that, they would have replaced and there wouldn't have been an issue. But she knew that as soon as she retired, she would die because she had she would lose her purpose. And so I was talking to my mother about this and she said, I can't believe the Republicans are pushing forward a nomination for the conservative judge. And I was like, well, I mean, they it would go the other way. Like, this is a political process. And she's like, oh, are you you must be pro-gun, pro pro-life pro and she listed all these things that had nothing to do with why I wanted a Supreme Court justice. It's like we make choices and then we weaponize these words by using assumptions. And so in the energy industry, I totally agree. It's like climate change is is happening. It is likely contributed by humans. It is likely occurring because of an increase in CO2 in the atmosphere. However, I'm not convinced that, that a rising sea level of some degree is going to have more negative consequences than positive consequences. And politicians are running on something that may or may not happen 60 years in the future instead of focusing on Federal Reserve, housing evictions, homelessness, education, you know, the Bitcoin industry. Like the reason Bitcoin's taken off is because no one has any faith in the Fed. But no politicians are talking about that. We're talking about what's happening in 2080. Makes no sense to me.
0: No, I mean, especially when you're I and mean, you see how this has been weaponized throughout history like the Maldives are supposed to be underwater 12 years ago right at this point um, right
1: and and imperial the imperial college model that freaked everybody out said 2.2 million americans would die which <laughs> a the run rate of americans that die that people forget is 2.8 million americans die a year of something now we used to have 80,000 that died of flu which is now zero. Now the coronavirus thing is also weird because we've done a cumulative count going back to last February, which flu season starts in October and ends in March. So like if we counted the cumulative number of deaths in the United States over the last 50 years, it would be, you know, like 130 million. But like we reset counters when we're not trying to drive a narrative of fear. And, and so again, it, it's... It's interesting to have the conversations about what Bitcoin stands for and the energy consumption. Is it true? So 450,000 Bitcoins were mined in 2020, roughly?
0: Uh, Yes, it should be. Um, God, I don't know that number off the top of my head, but it's like 12 and a half Bitcoin per block, 144 a day. So uh, I believe right. there's something like nine. So there was... Eighteen hundred produced per day until May eleventh, and then it got cut in half and went down to around nine hundred, I believe. Yeah. Um, okay.
1: So, so if if you did the eighteen hundred a day, that would have been six hundred fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. If you, you cut it in half, that'd be like three thirty thousand. You take the average, was four fifty. The reason I bring it up is I saw an interesting tweet about it, and and it brings up Tesla. Is if four hundred fifty thousand Bitcoin were mined in two thousand twenty, and Tesla bought ten percent of them. Um, Somebody did the CO2, there was 41 million tons of CO2 emitted, creating that 450,000 Bitcoin, which meant that that Tesla accounts for 10% of that for their purchase, which offsets, that's more carbon emitted for the Bitcoins they own than their cars have saved in the cumulative history of the entire company, which I find really interesting.
0: Well, it'd be interesting to see how they came. At the co2 emissions because that's one thing people like to point out where bitcoin is being mined uh, and then thrust the the energy distribution on the bitcoin mining industry within a particular region which is just like a total lazy way of doing it because totally. the incentives of bitcoin mining are such so that you go seek out the lowest cost energy sources so you can produce bitcoins cheaply and a lot of times it's stranded renewables or flared gas, um, which which helps reduce the methane leak, so. And
1: and to me, I mean, I don't care. Like energy is energy and you're converting it into a useful purpose. And so, again, I, I find the whole focus on CO2 and the weaponization that if you say, well, okay, maybe the planet is warming. Quite frankly, like we die in the cold. We saw that in Texas. If you don't have energy and it's cold, there are places in the world we can't live, and it wasn't until you know you can go back to the 1300s where there was a general warming trend that allowed the Europeans to expand their population because there was more ag- arable land that that they could that they could have, and so the reason the planet population is one point you know or seven point eight billion today. And at the time of the Black Plague in the 1300s, I think, is is 1300s, the population of the planet was 150 million. And it's because of our energy consumption that makes life better and that we have agriculture that makes life better. And so we can expand and flourish. Without that energy, we have to shrink. And, and, and that's the, that, again, is the uncomfortable conversation no one wants to talk about. If you want to reduce energy consumption, you have to have less planet, people on the planet. And you know, when when we consume, I consume eleven thousand kilowatt hours a year. Each and every American consumes eleven thousand kilowatts a year, kilowatt hours a year. That's a huge, that's like twenty times or ten times the amount that you consume in Asia and, and India. And I promise you they would rather live like us than we would like to live like them. So what does that tell you for power? It means we need more.
0: I'm huh. sounding very pronatalist right now. I don't know. Yeah, but so come back to like last year and i think last year was a really big inflection point for humanity particularly in the sense that a lot of people are waking up that the experts quote-unquote experts don't know what they're doing i mean bitcoiners have had this belief for quite a while in, right in the context of central banking um and once you understand how bad the experts actually don't understand what their core competency is supposed to be in in a monetary policy context. You you start to question the experts in other fields. And I think um, that is starting to happen more and more. And like last week, what's going on, or last month, what what happened in Texas, this is uh, another instance where she's like, all right, like should we be barreling down this transition to green energy tech if it's going to uh, cause rolling blackouts and and not really uh, allow us to to consume the energy that we need to survive and so that's why i appreciate the content that you put out and like having forcing these hard conversations to to the front of of the narrative because it's like all right like we can virtue signal about all the stuff all we want and like yes we should be building this green tech but let's not demonize something that has helped us flourish for, for hundreds of years yeah. and throw the baby out with the bathwater. It seems like what everybody wants to do.
1: Well, and and, and for the record, and I, I don't actually even know what pronatalist is. And so I think, and and so I take what you said as a compliment is I'm not pushing an agenda. I'm pushing conversation. And, and a lot of people, especially on LinkedIn, like I have a lot of haters um, and that's fine. And some of it I definitely brought on myself because I I engage with trolls, or at least I used to, and usually I snap back with something pretty harsh. And then people say, oh, you're not being magnanimous enough. You need to, you know, you need to accept all people and they can all be mean to you. And then you have to be nice. And that's not really my thing. But but I don't really care if people believe me or agree with me. I think that just framing the conversation. You know and again like i don't know what the answer is in in the population i do find it interesting i reflect on the movie the avengers i mean they were actually in i think infinity war they were like they were speaking of the the concept of there are too many people but the trade-off was once um who was the main character in that whatever whoever he was you know the big guy
0: yeah thanos once Thanos, thanos. Covered
1: half the people. People realize that life, you know, you missed all your friends and and like half your like the value of our life was gone. And so again, I I frame everything in trade-offs. And and coronavirus was no different, is that the trade-off of shutting in the economy is we have marginalized poor people and we've protected old people. And to do that. The Federal Reserve has pumped so much liquidity in that drove the stock market up 35% and all of the top 10% own 90% of the assets, so the rich are now richer. The poor have both lost their job and with inflation, they don't have the buying power they had before, and so the trade off of us keeping grandma and grandma safe. By shutting in the economy, instead of just saying wear a mask and protect yourself. As an example, is that we've now marginalized an entire population of of underprivileged people, and then we're talking about being woke and improving access to education, which we all know the only way that works is massive increase in taxation, which means you have more avoidance circa Bitcoin, you have more people moving. And you have a less efficient society, which is what allowed us to flourish. So, again, we need to have those conversations, whether you agree with it or not. I think being intellectually honest and consistent about the trade offs is important for us.
0: Yeah. No, I completely agree. In the, in the context of the lockdowns and the money printing and the stimulus from the fiscal side as well, like that's something I've been beating uh, the drum about for the last year, since April of last year. It's like, it's not the exact same situation, but this is, pretty much what the Weimar Republic did before they incited hyperinflation. They shut down their factories in protest of the French, uh of the occupied, Treaty of Versailles. Yeah. And, and they, they printed money to pay their workers who weren't working completely borked their supply chain and, um, uh, had an inflationary event that is historical and people still talk about to this day. And it seems that like, especially after the stimulus bill was passed that they're dead set on going down that path as well again it's not the exact same thing we're not not a post-world war one world where we're paying reparations but the the mechanics of the shutdown of the economy and the money printing are very similar
1: well i think it's instructive also the politicians are not it's funny i don't know if you're are you a tv watcher no okay um yeah you you probably are too intellectual to be a tv watcher i I mean
0: i watch i I don't watch cable i'll watch like I'm rewatching The Sopranos right now.
1: OK, so I, I, I enjoy it. My wife and I have been rewatching um, Designated Survivor. And it's kind of funny because Kiefer Sutherland and the, the script makes him like a better president because he's actually talking about trade offs. But even in the show, which is very clearly written from a Democratic perspective in Hollywood, Hollywoodized. And so like the Republicans are bad and Democrats are good. But you can't raise the topic of Social Security, for example. And, and you and I both know that like Social Security was put in in 1935 as a protection against people and you didn't get it till you were 65. The average life expectancy at that time was 61. And so you were supposed to be dead for four years before you qualified for it. And then if you got it, there were 14 workers for every one worker that was retired. Now, life expectancy due to the incredible advancement of medicine and access to energy life expectancy is 80 and you still get social security at 65 and so this is an entitlement that then all those people who are 65 to 80 are retired they're using medicare they're using social security they're living long they're owning the assets and then the shutdown again i'm not against old people i'm just making the statement that we have a massive issue in terms of our structure and we won't even talk about Two of the largest expenses we have, which are Medicare, and 60 per 25% of all Medicare spent per year in the United States. So there's 560 billion, 160 billion is spent in the last six months of life. So just think about that. So for me to like last from today to six months to have something terminal, I'm costing 25% of the entire Medicare. <laughs> We're not having a conversation about like how long should we live? Like a ventilator, we knew in March when ventilators were the thing. You remember this? 90% of people who go on ventilators die. If you're on a ventilator for a month, it's a million dollar cost, which means to save one American, it was $10 million to do so. And usually they were elderly and obese. So whether they were in the last six months or not, is a question. And from an economic value, I bet if you went to each of those families and said, you know, we'd love to put them on a ventilator, but here's $250,000 for all 10 of you, that would have been a $2.5 million expense instead of the 10. And then everyone's family would be richer in the healthcare, because insurance premiums are going up, of course. And so everyone's like, why is my healthcare more expensive? Well, because we tried to save everyone. And there's a cost to do that. And and people don't like to talk about life in terms of cost, but but that that's what we are. We're a planet of economics. That's why Bitcoin exists because we're trying to store value, and protect ourselves from crazy government policy.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, in the way government policy is completely perverted, the free market is is pretty disgusting. You mentioned like Social Security and like if you track uh, employment participation rates over the last couple decades, the participation rate of working age people, 18 to 35 has gone down, while the participation rate of seniors has gone up significantly. There's something completely wrong in the system that is, uh, the people who should be working aren't, and the people who shouldn't be, are being forced to, which is pretty disgusting when you think about it.
1: Yeah, and have you heard a politician talk about any of the solutions to this? in a bipartisan way.
0: Green New Deal. We're just going to Green New (laughs) Deal at MMT. It's going to solve everything.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: It's, uh, I I mean, this is why, we. uh, so that's like the Bitcoiner's mindset is you got to fix the money before you fix the world. Like all this stems from the perversion of the way money is created and distributed to the market. Like uh, the Cantillon effect is real in my mind. Like the, the fact that the Fed creates this money and gives it to primary banks, creates an undue advantage to those people who have access to the money first at the, uh, at the disadvantage of the rest of us. And it's becoming glaringly obvious, like you mentioned, the, the stock market skyrocketing last year, the rich getting richer, the poor getting poor. Like it, it has hit ahead and nobody, everybody wants to frame it like Republican versus Democrat. Nobody ever wants to talk about the money
1: no, no, or, or the trade-offs for it. And again, the stimulus package is a great example. If we want to put $1.9 trillion into economy that apparently is doing well and coming back and on the verge, OK, how are we paying for that? So at least let's have the conversation of the taxes that are going to pay for that. And let's talk about the entitlements that are going to be cut. And my biggest concern with the lockdown was governments really didn't cut their staff. And so, like the trade off is tax revenue is going to fall, and therefore teachers have to be cut or at least cut salaries. Police have to be cut firemen have to be cut. Doctors have to be cut like we need to have a balanced budget. And so I appreciate at least in a state like Colorado, as I understand it, that every year we need to have a balanced budget. And I think that it's important to have a balanced budget because I mean that. We, we can't keep kicking things down to our kids, because if we do that at some point, someone has to pay the piper. Um, let me, I wanted to ask you a question about Bitcoin since I knew I was coming on here. So there's 21 million total Bitcoins that can be made. There's roughly 18 million in circulation right now. There's competing cryptocurrencies. Walk me through why there couldn't be a Bitcoin two That's like the same algorithm just like shifted or, or like, what is what is the unique, why is, why, what is the moat that protects Bitcoin from dog coin or cat coin or whatever these things are?
0: So it's multifaceted. I mean, people have tried to fork Bitcoin's code base and, and create um, new cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin cash. Most famously, they want again, they didn't like the trade-offs that Bitcoin network was making and they wanted to increase the block size to allow more transactions in each block. But when you do that, there's a trade-off to it. Uh, that means there's more data on the blockchain, which over time will make it harder for individuals to download and verify what's going on on the network um, with, with hardware they have at their homes. And so they tried to bring everybody onto that, that forked network that had bigger blocks and the market said no um so to answer your first question it's been tried and it's failed um and so like i believe that that you only get one shot at digital scarcity scarcity in the digital world bitcoin's value prop is such it enables peer-to-peer distributed transactions with a with a digital bearer asset and that bearer asset is scarce like you said there will only ever be 21 million and so like if we want a scarce digital asset, right? again I think we only have one shot. So if like something a better cryptocurrency were to come along, like so that's what I believe the whole value prop is. There's only ever 21 million, it's distributed, nobody can control it. If another cryptocurrency were, were to come along and quote unquote flip in Bitcoin, that's one of the memes that is in the cryptocurrency world, all these altcoins are trying to flip in Bitcoin. Once one of them were to do that, it would completely destroy the confidence in our ability to ever have a truly scarce digital currency. Like if Bitcoin gets flipped, what's to stop that coin right. from getting flipped, and so on right. and so forth. Um, and beyond that, the, uh, the v- value prop of Bitcoin against its competitors, it has a stronger network effect. It's in more people's hands. Uh, it's got more computing power by far than any other cryptocurrency dedicated to the protection and security of the network and the addition of new blocks um, and the um, the distribution is such that it's, it's happened slowly over time, and the, the system is just becomes considerably robust, and Bitcoin is extremely hard to change, which is another one of its driving value propositions.
1: Is there a limited number of transactions that could be done with a coin when you talk about the blockchain length and verification? Like you know, how, if for look forward three hundred years, can you do three hundred years worth of fractional Bitcoin purchases of pizzas, or is there a limit of the number of transactions that can be done?
0: So within each block at the protocol level, yeah, there is there again. Like I said, the, the Bitcoin Cash forked off, and they wanted to increase the the amount of data in each block. So there's a scarce block space. You can only fit so much data, transactions worth of data in each block. There's a limit. That, that you can't go over. But with that being said, again, there's more nuance here. Each transaction can represent multiple payments. So you can like one transaction can actually represent thousands of payments. So like exchanges do what are called batch transactions. When, when somebody wants to pull Bitcoin off an exchange, an uh, exchange to, to save uh, money at the protocol level, they'll batch a bunch of these transactions together, uh, these payments together in one transaction and then send it out to... The users, um, so that's one way you can be like people see like, hey, there's only like three thousand transactions per block, but those transactions can actually represent multiple payments, many many payments. Um, and then on top of that, Bitcoin's scaling approach uh, has has sort of settled on a layered scaling approach where you you treat the protocol level as a settlement layer, uh, comparable to the way central banks settle using gold. Um, and so it's slow, dumb. And relatively expensive compared to payments that you make with visa and mastercard because it it's a settlement layer that is actually worth the cost because you're getting final settlement in a peer-to-peer fashion and in the future i believe most bitcoin transactions its protocol level will, will represent large amounts of money large purchases large settlements between individuals corporations and nation states if they still exist uh and then so what bitcoin is doing to scale the payments stuff is push it to second layers where you can um, use a Bitcoin transaction to open what's called a payment channel. Um, and on the so the most popular second layer solution right now is the lightning network, which allows you to lock Bitcoin up in what's called a payment channel. And then the Bitcoin in that payment channel can be sent instantly, relatively cheap, like very cheap, like fractions of a penny um, and still have final settlement. And so you can use Bitcoin as a medium of exchange on these second layers um, and you can go buy coffee with it. Uh, This podcast will actually be downloaded on an app called Sphinx Chat and people can go listen to this podcast on that Sphinx Chat we'll have a Lightning Network public node um, in our RSS feed. And as they listen, people will stream us Satoshis, which are the smallest units of a Bitcoin as they listen per minute. So they can send like 10 Satoshis, which right now is... Five tenths of a penny per minute. So the the medium of exchange use case is being pushed to second and third layers eventually. Um, and then there's also the concept of side chains, which are a bit different than the Lightning Network, and they but they aim to to sort of um, fulfill the same use case.
1: So so do you think it's possible that Bitcoin becomes like gold over a period of time, where you know I mean the gold standard, which obviously we've moved away from, but where you, you know there's going to be some government or some nation state or some corporation has this, this block. And and so they don't ever trade the block, but it's in Fort Knox of Bitcoin. And then they create a fiat that basically represents it, which then that's how, because once you get to 21 million, you know, I mean, as I understand the value proposition, there's like an unlimited now, the demand, there's zero supply and demand is what it is. So price continues to go up, but you would think that someone would try and solve that by creating this secondary fiat Bitcoin standard currency like the gold standard and that that would be the multiplier in the future.
0: I mean, they could certainly try. Um, that's the beauty of Bitcoin compared to gold, gold's physical nature sort of puts it in a position where it ends up getting neutered by these central banks and, and governments because they put it in these these vaults and they say, hey, here's how much gold we have and then they print notes on top of it and eventually wind up rehypothecating it. Um, and it's hard to verify like if the if the gold is actually in the vault for for individuals. Right. right? And where Bitcoin it's very easy to verify. So if they were to hold it in these vaults, like the market would hold them to it. Like, hey, prove to us that you actually have this Bitcoin in this vault and the notes that you're producing uh, tie to to the assets that you have um, in reserve. Uh, and then, yeah, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, if like private banks, like a private banking system that existed in, in Canada and Scotland in the past pops up where you have private entities using Bitcoin reserves and then creating... Their their own private currencies on top of Bitcoin um, to to let users leverage. Um, I actually think that may happen, but again, the the verifiability of of Bitcoin makes it such that the the rehypothecation and the the printing of of notes more notes than exist in reserves um, is sort of curbed because you, you have the ability to say all right prove it like sign it sign a message that shows that you own this much Bitcoin and then they can compare it to the notes being being uh, produced on top of those reserves.
1: It is a fascinating topic and it's, uh, uh, you know, the more mainstream it goes, it's sort of like right now, all of a sudden oil is mainstream again. And so without any real changes to ES and G um, which we all know that the real issue is G but let's move past that uh, without real changes on these small, small companies that aren't putting guys on their board like Exxon did yesterday, that's meant to destroy the company and, and crush their investments guys are up 700% in three months simply because oil is up and then oil goes down and then they all trade down. So we, we we have this big complicated narrative around how ESG matters and stakeholders matter and everything. But at the end of the day, New York investment bankers will sell their grandma for a dollar. And yeah. whether it's Bitcoin or oil or whatever the carbon footprint is, they don't care. They just fuck. they just want to be worth as much as their boss and their boss wants to be worth as much as their boss, and then that's then you create people who are carving out fees for a living, and not not necessarily being productive with that time. Not not to denigrate all bankers because a lot of bankers have value, but you know they're they're you know for a banker to put your money in the S and P and do nothing, they're going to carve off a fee for that. And you're like, well, there's a more direct way for people to do that,
0: right? No, it's. Yeah, it's the perverse incentives of the system. We live in this middleman economy, where everybody's just trying to insert themselves in a financialized world. That's the thing. Like, that's another um, another theory and thesis that Bitcoiners have is that Bitcoin's going to lead to a great definancialization that completely tells these middlemen to go the fuck away and, yeah. and like let let people just accumulate capital and deploy it for productive use instead of bring it out of thin air, and misallocating it terribly, and like and back to like oil in the forefront, the ESG narrative, like I mean, it, yeah, it does seem to be very heavy on the virtue signal side, and it's very top. And I think that's again, like we've gotten into these problems because you have top-down, heavy like bureaucracy trying to micromanage very complex systems, whether it be a monetary system, an uh, in energy industry. Or just a, a global economy at that. Like last year was the most egregious attempt to micromanage a global economy with the lockdowns, and there will be externalities that come to light uh, over the course of this year and next year and into the future. And so that's why, like, I I love the mer- the budding symbiotic relationship between oil and gas and the Bitcoin mining industry specifically because it's a free market solution to these problems that people want to solve. Like you can eliminate these flares behind me. By simply a market force in bitcoin miners looking for a low cost of energy production coming and saying hey all right we want to be better for the environment we want to be profitable like just give us that gas we'll mine bitcoin with it and we'll, we'll kill two birds with one stone
1: right, totally i mean and i think you you raise a point that again i think that we forget right like we're government we're here to help we're big companies we're here to help but do you remember two years ago when big pharma was the big problem and pharma was charging Americans too much for medicine and they were the the downfall of the healthcare system. And then miraculously, they're not, not only are they hated, they're now loved. And Moderna is going to have $20 billion of revenue in 2021. Their revenue in 2000 was 2 billion. So they're making $18 billion more of revenue for a vaccine that they created to solve a problem that most people don't actually have the problem to need it. And then government is mandating you go get it. I mean, we talk about this like big narrative. CO two is another great example. Is is they they had to create an enemy. And the enemy was CO2. And the only way you can solve CO2 is through wind and solar and rebuilding an existing infrastructure. And I've done two projects on the hot take of the day. One was an Alamosa solar facility that was purely experimental. Xcel Energy signed a power purchase agreement in like 2010. This company took that to the Department of Energy, used the firm contract for a thing that hadn't been built yet, To get a 90 million dollar loan from the department of energy to build a solar facility that sold power at 125 a megawatt which was a megawatt hour which was at least double the amount that it would have cost to get from a different source then it failed because the hinges on the solar panels didn't actually work and the company that made the hinges went out of business it wasn't commercial so excel paid them 41 million dollars to break the contract and by breaking the contract they made power more 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 affordable because they got out of a high cost one but the best part is they then passed the cost of the break fee on to all their consumers huh. so huh. excel who has a regulated 10 percent rate of return has zero accountability to the decisions they're making, but their 10% rate of return is based on the capital they spend. So, of course, they want to build expensive things that don't work because they get a regulated rate of return and therein lies the problem. It's not really a free market. So solar versus wind as a pure like apples to apples. Solar is more than three times more expensive than wind. We should be building no solar, but there's tax incentives and stimulus and the electricity companies are charging it back to their consumers anyway. So they don't care.
0: Moore's law. Moore's law.
1: Yeah. We, oh, ba- batteries, ba- batteries, ba- batteries. Yeah. Just just say some a few, future. Few, we're going to solve it. We just we need to build it to solve it. Build it to solve. Well, it, by that token, what well, shouldn't we be using nuclear? The plants last longer. There's no CO2 emissions whatsoever. Um, The waste is much smaller. Uh, Yeah, they're very expensive, but, but Moore's law, they're gonna get cheaper. I'll tell you on an efficient use of megawatts, I think a nuclear facility is still cheaper per produced megawatt than a solar panel installation.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised.
1: I was just looking. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's but again, we're not having these conversations and the media is not holding anyone accountable. And it's like this Andrew Cuomo thing. Cuomo (laughs) says January 2020, not a single New Yorker should lose their life to coronavirus. And there is no cost too high to save everyone. And then a year later, he says, if we don't open the economy safely now, there won't be an economy left to open. The media fawns over him and tells him how great he is, and now these 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 allegations come forward, and they're like, oh, well, let's just not talk about it. Like, I mean, it's 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 truly insane how the media just they spin the narrative.
0: Media is evil.
1: I, I concur. I, I think it's 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 very very frustrating because you don't know who to believe, and that's why these podcasts I think are are interesting. Because you end up believing people rather than networks. So like if Ben Shapiro goes away from, I think it's the Daily Wire, but like people trust Ben Shapiro, Tyler Durden with Zero Hedge. You might not agree with everything you read, but you're like, okay, I feel like you you believe a person.
0: Had Dave Portnoy, another example. Dave
1: Portnoy is another great example. And, and so I think we're going to become very personality centric on on news and reporting and media because you can't trust the narrative of large organizations that own the channels.
0: Yeah, I mean, their incentives are completely perverse. Even I mean it's because they lied, they lied to get us into Iraq. They lied and basically sugarcoated what happened after two thousand eight with those bailouts. Um the the narrative last year was shifting back and forth every day, it seems like there's yeah. no consistency and it's becoming glaringly obvious they're not really trying to inform anybody but to, to push particular narratives out there 100. to propagandize 100 yeah and that's like it so like we'll have this conversation we'll post it and some people will be like ah oh, you you environmental terrorists like i'm an environmentalist i'm the surfer like i'm like i'm the kid on that on the beach who's picking up after people's trash, i hate when people litter on the beach it's disgusting like i, I care about the environment i care about yeah. like making sure that my footprint is as small as possible in terms of not polluting and and making make leaving the world a better place than i than i entered it for my children and their, their children uh and nobody wants to have the conversation around being more efficient with with everything they want to go full bore to we need to phase out all these fossil fuels. Nobody wants to talk about being more efficient with flares or or carbon capture. They, they want to throw, again, throw the baby out with the bathwater first as their first option.
1: Well, also think about what you just said around in the, the weaponization of you're an environmental terrorist. So I would ask that person who sends that email to say, okay, so let's go through the impact of CO2. Like, for example, do you know what the CO2 level is today? Do you know what it was? Do you know what it was historically? Do you know that CO2 comes with water vapor and what the changes are, do you know what the sea level rise would be and why that's impactful. Like do you know that if we spent the $8 trillion we did on stimulus to protect old and fat people, we could probably build some walls around cities like they have in New Orleans to be able to protect against massive hurricanes like. By definition, the human species creates climate change because we don't live in the woods we cut down trees to make houses. We then heat our houses. We then build buildings to go and do productive things that aren't farming like we we are a very complicated society. But the one thing we absolutely unequivocally do is we use resources to make our lives better. And so when someone asks me, how do I feel about my carbon footprint? I I mean, I don't really think about it, to be perfectly honest And, and for my kids. That, you know, at some point the planet will be exhausted of resources, whatever those resources are, whether they're the things that the coal that goes in to make steel for wind, or the silica and the lead that goes in to make solar panels, or their uranium that goes into, you know, so unless we figure out some wave power, which then can then power a desalinization plant to create new water that we can't currently do and then create a fusion reaction that creates high hydrogen unlimited and maybe we can but like there are scarce resources by definition and economics is the allocation of scarce resource so i would i would challenge someone who said you're an eco terrorist to be like okay so do you have a dog they create carbon do you have a kid they create carbon do you drive a car to go to the mountains wearing your polyester On your ski jacket, probably that creates carbon. The best way to have no carbon footprint is to die. That's
0: that's it. Stop breathing.
1: Stop breathing. Solved.
0: Yeah. No, it's 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 very tiresome. It's extremely tiresome. And it's again, it's like nobody wants to have like the efficiency conversation first or um or the externality conversation, like, what about planting more trees? What about grazing cattle? What about like trying to bring more green to the earth? Like what, Like if there is more CO2 in the atmosphere, wouldn't that lead to like mega flora, which would create more oxygen to pull it out? Like, isn't there like a, a recalibration of n- nature that happens?
1: I believe in the 20th century, I've seen the number between four and 10%, but there has been a four to 10% greening. And perhaps it's 4% of the planet has seen drier conditions and the rest have seen wetter, which is also why we've moved away from global warming to climate change. So the polar vortex, which was cold as F in Texas, that was climate change too. So now we can blame everything on this boogeyman that that, as you said, the, the experts are wrong and the experts are paid to have a net na- have a narrative that they sell. It's the advertising model of business. Who do you believe? They tell you it's a problem and then they're making money building windmills and solar farms. So do you really believe them? I'm an oil and gas guy, even though I'm not working in the industry right now. But so do you really believe when I say fossil fuels are good because it just, it like maintains the price. My point is we're gonna use 100 million barrels a day and we can get it from the US in part, but never fully. Or we get it from Saudi Arabia in part or fully. and the, the wars of the 90s around oil were because we thought we were short. And so when you have resource allocation scarcity, as you'll have with rare earth, there will be wars with large countries like China because you're trying to capture the resource. That's that's how society has worked for the last 10,000 years. You have a goat and I want your daughter, so I'm going to go to war with your village. Like that's like <laughs> it's, it's age old, tried and true. Right
0: people want to deny deny uh reality absolutely it's, so like mention mentioned that you're not currently working in, in the industry anymore but i think that for the sake of this conversation the audience who may be listening to this i'd love to get like uh, a breakdown of the status of the industry the state of the industry from your perspective like, again yeah uh just we've been talking to a lot of producers a lot of upstream producers particularly at great american mining and Something that shocked me as a Bitcoiner coming in, like, hey, let's fucking stack these Sats, let's turn this waste of gas into, into the hardest digital asset ever. Like, I have like a jolly go lucky attitude, and coming into a lot of these conversations it seems like producers are pretty dejected right now.
1: Yeah, well, so so I would I would say this a couple folds. So the world consumes 100 million barrels a day of oil, of which the U.S. used to produce roughly 13. The U.S. is now producing 11, and that will continue to decline. The U.S business, as we know, is a very fractured business because capitalism reigns wild here. And so there's national oil companies like in China, like in Russia, like in Saudi Arabia, like in the UAE that manage all of their production. And they think, A, for the long-term because none of them are shareholders per se, they generate revenue and royalties that feed their population. And so they manage things for the long-term and American companies have absorbed since 2008 100% 100% of the oil demand growth in the world. So in 2008 at the financial crisis, we were roughly 91 million barrels a day. The US was producing roughly 5 million barrels a day of oil. We grew to 100 million barrels a day of demand and the US grew to 13. So the US absorbed 100% of the oil growth in the world, whereas all these other countries like Saudi Arabia and Iraq and Iran, who have a no other resource and b no regulations around flaring or CO2 or carbon tax or anything, just let us companies do what they would. And so where we sit as an industry now is when oil went to 35, all of that US growth was using debt similar to the federal government and that that time has come to pay it, because when oil was 35, none of the companies had cash flow. Add to that that all these banks hold the debt, the banks also have an investment banking arm which are saying I want you to pay back my debt, I don't want you to grow, so US companies are now not going to grow, which means you need less staff. You need more mergers which means you have more layoffs which means you have more mergers which means you have less activity so service companies are in trouble producers are in trouble and ultimately our business should be 10 very large companies exxon chevron oxy eog pioneer pick your guys but basically they're all 50 to 100 billion dollar companies and they're 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 managing their assets in the us better but quite frankly oil is cheaper to go get in other countries and and in order for an exxon to go sign a deal an iran or iraq or saudi arabia they need to be relevant and when they were the world's biggest company with a 500 billion dollar market cap exxon could go into these countries like russia and, and and withstand rule of law challenges whereas now exxon is this irrelevant company that now has two environmental activists on their board and somehow somehow the stock went up BP is touting that they can make 8% rates of return in their renewables where EOG comes out and says in our portfolio we're not going to drill anything that's less than a 40% rate of return at 40. Eight is lower than 40 so why oil companies are pivoting their model to deal with this green mantra. We should consolidate shrink the industry in the US and then go international to produce the oil and fossil fuels we're always going to need, and then the US can buy them at a cheap price. But one way or the other, the carbon is not going away because, as we saw during Texas, if it's not windy, you can't heat your home. And I I heard from someone who actually had their stove on full bore because they had natural gas into the house but electric heating. So the way that they were able to manage their pipes was they kept boiling water using their natural gas stove and pouring them down their pipes so that they would make sure that the water would continue to break up and the heat from the stove is what kept them warm. So like walk me through how wind and solar fix that. So that's the, that's the state of the industry and it's very dire and there's going to be a lot of job losses. I think that at the peak, we were 2 million and I estimated that 80% of those jobs will be gone by 2024.
0: Holy shit. Yeah.
1: So we're like coal, right? If you look at coal, the entire coal by 2010, when we started hating on coal, You know, most of the companies have gone bankrupt and there's very few remaining and very few who work in the industry, whereas oil and gas, we were this like small vibrant you had 50 people doing a small company and then Exxon had. 20,000 30,000 well if you have less activity it's like when you're not building a wind farm, how many people do you see walking around the wind farm you create jobs when you're investing capital. You don't create jobs when things are just going And like the scene behind you in Dickinson. There's a lot going on at that plant, but that's probably three or four people. But when you're drilling and fracking, it's like 100 people. And so that that's where the jobs go. Reduced activity means reduced jobs. And so our industry will continue to sort of vanish into obscurity in America. But the product will come from foreign governments, and we'll just transfer our U.S. dollars into saudi currency and russian currency and brazilian currency where there's less environmental regulations
0: hmm.
1: I, it's they're... very uplifting I, I i what i do that's what people find is when i give speeches I, and again you don't have to agree with me but they this is this is the data and this is, well, this is how i see the world And that's that's it
0: somebody with um i don't want to say perverse incentives but uh who's incentivized to to push our solution forward and using this flared gas to mine Bitcoin. Like we believe, we have a thesis that will make producers more resilient to some some extent, right? Like you have this alternative revenue stream in Bitcoin mining. You can go see how profitable it is, like using the gas to mine Bitcoin as opposed to sending it to a pipeline at Henry Hub prices is multiples, 15 to 20 X higher per MCF. Like in some instances, depending on what mining model you're using. Um, I think this alternative revenue stream driven by something that's also demanded by the market three, uh, 24-7, 365, which is adding blocks of transactions to the Bitcoin network driven by completely different demand factors than, uh, than what drive the oil and gas markets. I think we think it, it is an opportunity for more efficient capital allocation uh, in, in the ONG industry and the ability to sort of take a step back and have a supplemental revenue stream that makes you more resilient and able to make wiser decisions moving forward. Cause I, I've seen this firsthand. I worked at a third party or excuse me, a valuations per a third party valuations firm that, that would basically take PE mid-market portfolios and, and give a third party valuation because they couldn't value it themselves. It would obviously it'd be, like they'd be incentivized to, to spoof it up and and so like, I actually had some oil companies cross my desk in like 2016, 2017. And just like seeing how terrible capital was being allocated. People taking out $100 million, 17% pick loans. And yeah, basically oh, predicting that the price per barrel of oil will be $100 by 2018. It's like, uh, that doesn't make any sense. And it's probably uh, you have to make up that delta and what you expected the price to be and what it currently is with volume which makes you misallocate more capital. And it, it's all because you're you're dependent on one very particular revenue stream. Like, do you see the possibility of an alternative revenue stream like this being added to the mix sort of yeah, helping?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, for sure. And that's that the whole point of consolidation is one of the only controllables you have is headcount. And so you're gonna consolidate to get rid of heads. If you can generate a higher form of revenue, for, especially from flare gas where you're getting nothing, uh, you know, the ultimate will be, I mean, again, if I were a lar- if I were Exxon, I would probably buy you guys, and I would internalize you, and I would use your skid as the way for me to move from well to well to well that was flaring, and I would time my entire program in the three months where gas rates are the highest, I'm generating as much power as I can from that before I go to pipeline, and then I'm moving that skid and I'm looking at a fully integrated supply chain because there's no financial engineering possible. When you look at why, you know, energy companies spun out midstream, it had nothing to do with the efficiency. If anything, it was the opposite of efficient, but the the market would value an MLP at 12 times cash flow and an EMP could be 5, and then you could lever the shit out of your midstream company. So EMPs realized that the management teams could make more money by splitting this thing up and making it more efficient. So I totally think that there's a space for, you know, when companies actually have to run a business and I'd make the case Tesla's not running a business. They lose money every quarter, except for the carbon credits they sell to other car companies who are trying to compete with them. And and in fact, they now bought Bitcoin, which regardless of the CO2 footprint, they now have a larger CO2 footprint than they did before. And they're going to book profit based on the gains in Bitcoin to offset the fact that their car company doesn't make money and all that works because it works and it'll work until it doesn't and so oil and gas is now on the part of the curve that. Bullshit business practices with no revenue and no profitability are not acceptable and so you're going to see lots of opportunities like what you guys are doing and others to be able to to maximize revenue, which is the goal of a company, And if you can't do that, you should not be in business
0: yeah so the money's fucked up everything right because arguably the easy access to capital that producers had over the last couple of decades has, has led to this this terrible um inefficiency in the market like oh the-
1: absolutely and and same thing right now the federal reserve you talk to your money guy and you're like what about inflation well we don't have to worry about it it's like like well why does nicola have a billion market cap. Why does QS, the battery maker who does not have anything even remotely scalable, and a guy said he he would value it at 30 to 40 million, it's valued at 30 billion. And you ask people the question, they're like, well, there's just so much money out there, they have nowhere else to put it. Well, okay, then what are we putting stimulus in for? Why is the Fed buying treasuries and bonds? Like you can't fuck with the business cycle the way we have. The Fed should be unwinding everything they did in March. And and letting the stock market fall 30%. So we have price discovery and, and creative allocation instead of this like buy Tesla, it makes sense at 30 times revenue.
0: Well, that's like again, I've like been doing reading a lot of history about past hyperinflationary events and you look at the, the social conditions again, going back to Weimar and like you know, journal entries of. of like grocery baggers talking about picking stocks and thinking they were getting rich and all that it's like <laughs> the same exact conditions today Like you have the tiktok investors the wall street bets guys it's
1: it's not good
0: and then they're telling you there's no inflation you just go to finviz and look at fucking commodities prices over the last six months and they're skyrocketing
1: it's, oh it's it's insane but there that's where we're at that's where we're at that's that's the state of the world and and I think it's worth talking about because unless people are more aware of it it's it's um, it's eyes wide shut and and I think we need to be eyes wide open to help our politicians hold hold them accountable to make better decisions and to elect the right people talking about the right things the next time we have the opportunity
0: why don't we just walk away from the politicians not even give them the, the chance to fuck all this up <laughs> like... well
1: uh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah yeah it's it's a hard one and and then but yeah so so that's that's that well mari I really enjoyed the conversation today
0: yeah well thank you for joining me and answering my stupid questions uh no they're
1: they're great i hope i uh, hope listeners enjoyed that that random journey through 1300 the black plague uh renewables weaponization of words wokeness and and the future of bitcoin
0: yeah I think it's gonna i think it's gonna resonate well with our listeners so. David, thank you for joining us. Where can we find out more about you before we wrap up? Uh,
1: yeah, ch- check me out. We have, uh, we have a website, uh, www.hottakeoftheday.com. And I'm primarily on LinkedIn as David Ramston would. And I post every day. So join the network. I accept uh, all uh, requests because um, I think it's important to help grow the community of people having real conversations instead of pushing narratives. So join if you resonate. And um, if you don't, happy to have disagreement as well.
0: All right. Thank you for doing what you do. Keep it up, man.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon.
0: All right. See you.